Welcome into another edition of the Hops and Spirits podcast. We're going to be on the hoppy side tonight. Um, before we get in there, though, don't forget to check out our social media pages at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok now. Um, although I'm not sure what I'm doing exactly there just yet. But you can keep up with all sorts of fun things, including our giveaways, highlights, our 60-second give-it-a-try highlights, and so much more. That's at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and now TikTok. Because uh, that's what uh, I guess all the cool kids are doing these days. Uh, but tonight we're on the hoppy side of things, talking with Ballast Point, the crew from there and their research and development. And we have with me uh, Aaron Justice, the Director of Research and Development, and Chris Takeuchi. Did I say that right? Yep, perfect. All right, all right. <laughs> I had to practice that a little bit before <laughs> we came on. It was a, a research and development brewer there as well, both based out of, uh, I believe, the Little Italy location. Is that correct? Awesome. Well, welcome in, Aaron and Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Now, I always start things off with one tough question. It's a nice little icebreaker. Some people really do think it's a tough question because they just never think of these things. Uh, so for you all, my tough question is, what's your favorite snack food? <laughs> well, is, is beer a snack food? I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what goes with the beer? <laughs> is that too easy? I, I thought your easy question was going to be uh, something like uh, Monty Python of the Holy Grail. What is your favorite color? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Green. No, blue. <laughs> uh, French fries. Mm. I, mean, it's not, I don't snack on it. It's just a, it's a, it's a terrible vice. My wife and I will order like a tray full of fries. And, you know, the, the server will inevitably say, you're not going to eat all this. You don't want you don't want the large. Uh, get the small. It's enough for two people. And no, we will eat the entire thing. So uh, that that's mine. Uh, I probably have too many snack foods that I like, but uh, I mean, we're in San Diego. Chips and salsa. Um, I tend to do the same thing. I eat. I like. Oh, it's a it's a snack before dinner, and then you end up eating a full meal of chips and salsa and feel terrible mm -hmm. afterwards. Uh, and I also find myself. Uh, I got a five-year-old daughter, and what kid doesn't like goldfish? Uh, I end up stealing a lot of her goldfish, um, <laughs> but it's a good thing because that you know it comes in the, the gigantic gallon container now, so there's plenty to go around. But I do I do like some goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm right there with you with the the chips. If I, especially if I'm out of like a Mexican restaurant, um, sometimes I don't even need to eat. Order a, an entree after that because my wife and I have crushed like five things of <laughs> chips between the two of us and pretty much just any chip i mean i'm i just I apparently can go through a whole bag and not realize it so i might have a problem i, have a chip problem. <laughs> I mean old school but old get, school doritos are still i mean i don't eat them very often but when i do i'm like oh i shouldn't eat those because now i want <laughs> now i wish i had like a, a gigantic bag <laughs> yeah you could just have a bunch of party size bags of doritos yep. around yep. And, <laughs> yep. that's by design yeah, you <laughs> yeah. gotta just just Bagfuls for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, now, now for for the the real show, not not just snack foods. Although beer and snack foods go hand in hand, I believe. Uh, for those that don't know, what is a R and D brewer? What what does a research and development brewer do? Uh, you want me to answer that? <laughs> Since that's that's me. <laughs> yeah, you know what, Chris, go for it. All right. Um, 
Well, I mean, in, in at least at Bowles Point, uh, we focus on uh, small batch and, and pilot brewing, and we do a lot of, uh, I mean, research and development, just like it is any other company, we're, we're, we're testing things all the time. Um, we play with a lot of new raw materials, so the main four raw materials, uh, water, hops, malt, yeast, we mess around, we go do, we deep dive into all of them, um, and uh, as Aaron always says, and this is a really good way to think about it, is you can't have an opinion about something when you're brewing in the brewing industry unless you've used it. Uh, so our goal is to have an opinion about everything, um, which is completely unachievable, but it's a good goal to target. Um, <laughs> And it, it kind of keeps us focused on continually trying new stuff. Um, we'll try new, and it's not just raw materials, it's trying processes, um, fermentation profiles, just a lot of different methods um, for, that are still ultimately ending up at uh, what is hopefully a delicious beer. Um, and so that's kind of what we're focused on. That's, that's the research side. The development side is then uh, ideally taking something that comes out of our research side and then developing that further uh, with the goal of it being a package brand. Um, and so we're kind of, I would say, roughly evenly split between those at the moment. Um, we do a lot of education at Ballast Point, too. We have a, an employee brewing program that we, we kind of run through our Little Italy location. It's been on hiatus because of COVID, because it involves groups of five or six employees coming down and brewing with us, and we kind of teach them the nuts and bolts of the brewing process. Um, and so, yeah, we're doing a lot of that, too. But uh, at the moment, yeah, it's, it's a lot of... Um, uh, exploration, research, um, hopefully not finding too many blind alleys, uh, because those are a waste sometimes. Um, and then, yeah, developing or trying to develop new brands. I think conceptually you have to think size as well. So, uh, our main production facility, uh, 300 barrel brew house. So when you're talking about like <clears throat> barrels and, and, and beer, uh, one barrel is 31 gallons or basically two kegs. So in one cycle, uh, we can do 600 kegs worth of beer uh, at our main production facility. Mm -hmm. Now our Little Italy R&D facility, uh, it's a five barrel system or 10 kegs per cycle. So in other words, it's uh, about 160th what our production cycle is. So it allows us to do a lot of small batch rapid fire uh, experiments and uh, boy did we do that I mean we uh, Chris what, what was the uh, one year we did 135 different beers mm -hmm. I think, uh, most maybe of them unique yeah most of them are yeah, unique I recipes pretty much unique recipes uh, one year I think we used uh, 50 or 60 different yeast strains mm -hmm. uh, this it's just crazy I, I'll be honest, um, I never thought I'd work at a brewery like this one, where we're allowed to try anything and everything. So it's fun. We have to, <laughs> so, it's, it's, big, it's a big sandbox for adults, and we get to just mm -hmm. sit there and play, play it all day long. So that, uh, to sum up, that's what it hey, is. Not, hey, nothing wrong with that. Now, <laughs> I'm guessing you get to also enjoy a few samples, because I would just assume most people think you just sit around and, and drink beer all day. <laughs> I mean, it's a little more than that, right? <laughs> it, it is. It is nice to uh, have rapid gratification of your efforts. Uh, that's a a good way to put it. Um, that that's you can. A good way to put it. Yeah, you get to. I mean, I filtered a beer yesterday, and we got to taste it. I mean, I tasted it yesterday afternoon, but then we tasted it again this morning. 
I mean, and you got to check carbonation to make sure that it's, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's all quality checking, of course. <laughs> um, yeah. but, quality uh, control, quality yeah. control. Um, there is, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of what we do, I mean, I was joking, but there is a, a legitimate aspect to that where because of our scale, most of our, uh, quality checks are sensory. So, I mean, we can measure carbonation. We don't actually utilize it very often because we, we, we've gotten pretty good at doing it to taste and we have our own, our own tastes and there's not really like a standard for anything that we make. Um, so we do, we do legitimately do a lot of, a lot of quality checks. Um, it's just the last one's the most fun cause it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> and then now one of the ones that recently came out of your long, the long process is the brothers Gus. Um, it's a part of, you know, the first year round addition uh, to the ballast point portfolio for a while. And one's the We Gus, which is a hoppy lager, and the other one is Big Gus, which is an IPA. And uh, the very first one that I, I figure we'll talk about is the We Gus, the hoppy lager. Uh, so, what can you tell us about this and, and how that process started? Because it didn't just start yesterday. You guys have been working on this for a little while, right? Yeah, I don't it goes, even remember. It goes what back to what we, we want to drink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what, yeah, I mean, that's we started, we put in. Yeah, I mean, we put in, we put in, sorry, we're talking over each other. Uh, I'm trying to think back of when, when the process actually started, because it was a while ago now. And then, of course, everything's fuzzy because of COVID. Um, but, I mean, it was at least two years ago that we, we kind of had the idea of one thing that we, we really enjoy doing is kind of playing with, playing with people's senses a little bit and making a beer that uh, tastes and smells like something unexpected. Um, and so we started, uh, as we do a lot, we get a lot of good ideas by, uh, drinking other people's beer. Um, whether it's the direct, uh, inspiration from what we're drinking or we're just kind of, uh, you know, oiled a little bit and discussion is flowing freely. Uh, yeah. we came up with the idea of doing, uh, basically the palest beer that we could, but still make it hoppy. Um, and that's kind of where a lot of this came out of we just decided okay let's 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 from a technical brewing side let's chase that uh limiting of color and see how how do we do that so it was kind of actually a cool intellectual exercise of from a recipe standpoint and from a process standpoint how do you keep the color of a beer down as low as you can get it um and then of course the the trick is it looks like a an american light lager uh, and i've heard stories about people ordering it and it shows up at their table and they're like, did you pour me the wrong beer? And it's before they've, and it's before they've smelled it. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, we wanted to make it so it looked like one thing, but then smelled uh, smelled and tasted different. Um, and that, yeah, that whole process started at least two years ago now. <laughs> and it is just it, brewing beers that you like to drink. I mean, that's kind mm-hmm. of our ongoing mantra within the company is, uh, you know, uh, do we, is this something that we even want to enjoy? And uh, we kind of have a, have a palate for uh, dry beers on the West Coast. Uh, so you think of like your West Coast IPA and then you have your San Diego IPA. So as you go farther West and farther South, beers keep getting drier and drier. So when I say drier, just less residual sugar and uh, just kind of a, a, a body that's not necessarily thin, but just uh, enough that it's uh, 
it's thirst quenching, <laughs> for for lack of lack of a better term. So uh, we, you know, we we've been seeing a, a lot of hazies out there, and I I love hazy IPAs, and uh, we wanted to also make something that wasn't a hazy IPA. So it, 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 this thing was kind of a, a marriage of, of of a lot of ideas to just kind of um, have fun and also make something that people like to drink as well. So uh, that's kind of where it all starts. And this one uh, kind of hits the mark. Uh, we know that a lot of people are chasing calories. Uh, I, I'm not chasing calories, but I, I know that it's <laughs> important to some people. Uh, you know, so uh, hence the, the seltzer craze. And I, I will not go on to a too much of a big tangent on seltzers. Uh, but but it is a thing, and uh, so we we also wanted to make something that could maybe hit that mark, but really ultimately we weren't targeting that. I don't think the I don't think the three of us the, there's another R and D brewer. I don't think the three of us sat down and thought, man, we really need to chase this trend. Uh, nothing nothing's more lame than that. But with that said, one of the earliest iterations of this beer. Uh, we did name definitely not a seltzer because <laughs> it's so low in color and it's so uh, crystal clear. It's uh, it, it's it, it's in that way. It's in that direction, but it's definitely a beer flavored beer. It's got the four ingredients of, of beer. It's got malt, hops, water, yeast, and that's it. And it's just done in a way that makes it a, a product that or a beer that's really enjoyable to drink. I'm, I'm trying it right now. And for those that are watching and not listening, you can see, I mean, you can pretty much see my hand right through the, the glass. It's nice and clear. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's got some unique flavors because it's a hoppy lager. You know, I kind of get that herbal side to it. Um, and it's got a very unique smell. Um, you know, so why go with something kind of that clear that you can almost see through as a hoppy lager? And, and how, how, how difficult was it to get almost see through on something with, with that kind of taste? Uh, I'm guessing that took a little bit of research. <laughs> yeah. Again, sure. I mean, I, I think, uh, we, yeah, we were, we were, again, as I said, when we started talking about it, kind of a, an interesting exercise in, in chasing, uh, low color, um, and, you know, you do that by selecting your malt properly and you can vary some things on as you're brewing it. Um, and yeah, just sort of like basically utilizing the skills at your disposal to uh, achieve a target that you wouldn't ordinarily when you're designing a beer. Um, and again, I, I mean, I think it was the first one that we made. Um, we were kind of targeting, let's go low color, but make it aggressively hoppy. And then from that initial one, it kind of split off into into the two brothers um and uh this one this one that that herbal note that you're talking about it's it's uh it's dry hopped with uh hollertown middle fruit and uh northern brewer so they're they're german uh german hops um okay. that have a have an herbal uh kind of lemony lemony character to them um so that was a choice too to kind of make it distinct from an american hop profile which is going to have more of that pine and citrus or a southern hemisphere it's more tropical um and uh yeah, again, it was, it was. I still think of it as like trying to trick the eye a little bit, to where uh, a beer that's that pale, 
your brain tells you it shouldn't be hoppy because it's so light. <laughs> yeah, that's not. I could see where people go. Hey, that's not what I ordered mm-hmm. without without doing the sniff and the, the first drink. Right. Now, once you taste the drink, it's okay. That makes sense now, but my brain's still not sure what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, you, you definitely. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, conceptually, when we had developed this beer, uh, we we brewed uh, what four or five different variety, uh, uh, versions of it with different hops, and then let the employees uh, of Ballast Point taste them and, and rate them and choose their favorite one. And this is the one that the employees chose. Uh, we we were laughing because you know we thought they're going to choose the one with the most bombastic hops. And instead, they kind of uh, everyone chose the the one that was a little bit more delicate and uh, nuanced. Uh, but it it really comes through. It's it's really enjoyable. Uh, the hoppiness is enough there to, to add a little bit of mouthfeel, and uh, it's it's got it's got a lot of flavor. You know, it, it's not it's not your quintessential light lager. And when you're talking about clarity, a lot of uh, color will come from the malt. Uh, and it also is protein. So a lot of what uh, makes hazy IPAs hazy are, is the high protein content that uh, brewers try to get to develop that haze. We went the opposite direction and tried to remove the protein. So we, we added a, a decent amount of sugar in, instead of malt to kind of lower that color and um, make it a little bit more crystal clear. So it's fun, and you know when I say we're adding sugar, I know a lot of people think, oh, that that's terrible. You you don't want sugar. This is prior to fermentation. Everything's fermented out. This thing is fermented to zero uh, gravity, which means there's almost almost zero uh, residual sugars. So uh, in that in that vein, it's um, it is a low calorie beer. Twelve ounces is going to be of Wegus is going to be about ninety five calories. Which is insanely low for beer. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one that actually packs a little bit of flavor. You know what I mean? Like, because I've had many under 100 calorie beers. Some are good. (laughs) There's a difference. There's a difference. Unfortunately, there's a difference uh, when you're talking about the quote unquote athletic beers these days. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's good. But, you know, you guys were kind of touching on this. You know, you guys. Brew now. Do you brew a hundred or so different recipes every year, trying to find different things, or do you kind of work on the recipes and then brew maybe half of that? How, how does the, that process go when you're kind of thinking this up? I mean, is it a recipe first, kind of like you do with cooking, or are you actually cooking and then writing down down the recipe? I'll let you tackle that one, Chris. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we we always have a recipe design in advance. Um, and we, it's, it's really the only way that, uh, in my opinion, that you can replicate anything. If you haven't, if you haven't written it down in advance and then made notes, um, if you've had to tweak something, uh, it still gives you the base, like the foundation that you need, that you're building on, and then you can optimize or improve it from there. Um, yeah, there's, there isn't like a throw a whole bunch of stuff in there and, and take notes as you go. Um, everything is well laid out from how much water is used at every given step. Uh, weights of hops, weights of all, everything is already kind of pre-calculated. Um, most beers that we brew, uh, there's a there's a 
it's not like we have a, a, a portfolio or a folder of recipes and we just pick, okay, let's brew this one today. <laughs> um, it's more, it's way more short term than that. So, um, like there's a, there's, I'm doing, I'm brewing something on Wednesday and I wrote the recipe today. Um, we, I mean, we already had stuff on hand, so I already knew where it was going, but, um, it doesn't take very long at this point. I mean, um, all three of us in R and D are, are very, very experienced recipe writers, um, to where, you know, for something like an IPA, I'm pretty confident that I can put a pretty good IPA, West coast IPA to re- recipe together. Um, based on on hand raw materials in about five minutes, um, and it'll probably come out pretty well. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a I guess the point is there's always a plan. The recipe's already pre exists uh, before you brew it, um, and how far in advance of the brew you write it is it's variable. Um, but uh, there are times though where you sit down and you just kind of have a wild idea and you write a recipe for it and it just kind of disappears into the into the server um, because it was just a wild idea and you threw it out there and, and it just doesn't fit into the schedule for some reason or it doesn't fit into what we're trying to do at that given time. Um, but that doesn't happen very often. Usually the, the recipe writing is very directed. <clears throat> and, and then how long does it take, you know, from, from that idea to maybe go into the quote-unquote market, whether that's just some kegs, um, you know, at the, at, at the brewery or even, you know, like we Gus and big Gus, which was a couple of years to can and distribution. It just depends on the beer. I mean, it, the thing is when, when you, once you actually commercialize, uh, especially on a larger scale, it's all about, uh, getting the packaging. That always takes uh, a decent amount of time because, you know, we got our cans and they're, they have their artwork and, so it gets really complex. Uh, so yeah, even just from uh, the inception of an idea, I mean, we, we, we do, at the very least, we have a, a catalog of beers that are ready to scale. Um, I, Chris, how many do you think we have? A, a few hundred, several hundred, maybe a couple thousand? Yeah, and that, if there, if we haven't written a recipe for it, we can in pretty short order. <laughs> and we pretty much can pretty do it in short order, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess uh, the recipes are ready, and we can always tweak it here or there if we find a new ingredient or a new process. I mean, uh, you know, a, a perfect example of, of something that we're doing right now, we're kind of refining how we do Belgian beers. And this latest round, we decided to kind of make it a mixed culture fermentation where we're using uh, traditional Saccharomyces brewer's yeast and we're blending in uh, wild Britannomyces yeast. And we found that that really gives us a a flavor and a body that we really enjoy. So now we're we're thinking, okay, well, this is, we're, 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 we're more happy with our Belgian beers but they're not perfect because then what we'll do is grab a couple of commercial, uh, uh, you know, versions of that and even some historical popular ones from uh, Belgium. And then we'll do it uh, blind and line them up and taste our beer to, to other people's beer. And uh, sometimes we, we don't choose our beer. We say, oh, my gosh, this one's uh, really amazing. And then we think, OK, that wasn't our beer. Why? <laughs> why does it taste better? And the, the three of us will sit there and, and overanalyze beer. Some, sometimes some people may not enjoy drinking beer with us because we're sitting there just analyzing the hell out of these beers. 
but it's because we, we, we love it. We love what we do, and it's, it's fun. Uh, if I wasn't getting paid to do this, I would still be overanalyzing beer and, and homebrewing. So uh, it, it is fun. It's fun to, to taste others beer, other people's beer. That's where we get a lot of inspiration is other breweries. Uh, it, it's Nothing's more fun than going to another brewery and, and being inspired. So uh, that's super important with R&D as well. Well, and I was going to say, I'm guessing, too, once you actually – uh, get it, get it all right, uh, whatever that process is, and you actually get to kind of send it on its way. You know, send it out into the into the real world. That has to be a pretty good feeling uh, when other people get to enjoy it, and and it's you know flying off the shelf or or out of the tap. Yeah, that's always fun. I mean, it's it's always nice. Like uh, where where our brew house is situated within our brewery. If you're standing on the platform, uh, one of the retail coolers is right right down below and you can see and it's it's it is kind of cool i mean it's seeing people grabbing them off the shelf uh something that we that we piloted um i mean it's nice to know that we you know are just kind of isolated in our little bubble making our stuff for the for the tasting rooms like we're we're having a positive impact on the on the company at large and you know um and having people take take beer that you made home to drink it i mean they don't have to pick our beer and they have you know um so that's always a, a good confidence booster. <laughs> like well, we're doing something but, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we, uh, we, we always have fun. Uh, every year we have what's called a Victory at Sea Day. Be- uh, or, I'm sorry, Victory at Sea Day, which is uh, our Imperial Porter, Victory at Sea. Uh, the Sunday before Christmas, we will release 12 different versions of the same beer. So we get to spice them, kind of have fun and do all these different types of beers and uh so you know for for some years we'll do something like uh ginger snap or we'll do other things that have flavors that uh people are very excited about uh and then sometimes we do things that um we kind of mess with people so uh we made one with uh grim uh the uh grim reaper or or not the grim reaper is it what is it called the Uh, uh, carolina reapers the carolina reapers sorry Mm -hmm. uh yeah, we put Carolina Reapers, the, the hottest pepper uh, on, on earth, at least for now, uh, into the beer. And you know what? Some people probably didn't like that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the two of us love it because the thing is when you put chilies in a beer, especially when they're superbly hot, uh, you get uh, two things. You get uh, that endorphin rush from the peppers, but you also get an endorphin rush from the, the high alcohol content. Uh, because we put it into a barrel-aged version uh, of this beer, so it was about 12 ABV. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, you know, you have like four ounces of it, and it, it is uh, it's life-enhancing. <laughs> yeah, you're ready to just, hey. like, sprint down the road. <laughs> hey, you're you're okay kind of that. excited, yeah. Yeah, it's like you, an energy you're, you're drink. To, yeah, you're ready to <laughs> r- wrestle a bear or something yeah. like that. It's, uh, it's pretty intense. <laughs> Uh, now, now the other brother uh, of the Gus's is, is the uh, is Big Gus. He, Thought I heard your can open. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, I was, I figured, right. figured he needed to be, you know, invited to the party as well. Um, now, as as normal, it might take me a while because I stink at pouring beer, despite this being kind of a part time job for me. They're highly carbonated. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. 
it doesn't matter for me. You, you can ask my wife. I'm really bad. Um, but this is a you know an IPA. It it you know the the wheat gus is uh, you know under 100 calories. Comes in at 4.2 percent ABV. Um, this one is 6.5 percent um, under 150 calories though. So kind of more on the athletic or you know healthier side so to speak for for an IPA. Um, and it's a 50 IBUs. Uh, what what is this one? Why does how does this one, I guess, differ? Obviously, it's a different beer uh, style, but how does it differ from from We Gus? And how did you guys come up with this one? Because it's it's a clear IPA, and you guys went away from the hazy craze that's going on right now, which is hazy to the point you can't even see through them anymore uh, at a lot of places. <laughs> yeah, this one, this one uh, again, it went through the the rigor of a uh, um, a series of of tests. Uh, where we made four different versions and had had the employees pick the favorite, and this was the one that won. Um, and the design on this one was to basically make it look the same, or at least very close to Wegas color wise and clarity wise, um, but have the hop profile be pretty different. So this one's uh, is all American hops, um, and it's just sort of more aggressively hop forward, uh, but without yeah, without being. Um, even as full-bodied as a, as a West Coast IPA, not nearly as bitter, to have it be more kind of uh, refreshing or drinkable or quaffable or whatever word you want to use. Um, and still, so still have the hallmarks of, a, of an IPA, a West Coast IPA, um, but be different. And then also it has hallmarks of a hazy IPA and that the bitterness is a little softer and a little lower than a, than a West Coast IPA or American IPA. Um, and it's all kind of uh, late edition hops, so you get you get a lot of aroma and flavor out of them, and not quite as much bitterness. Um, so we kind of took different pieces of all of them um, of of those concepts and just kind of put them together. Uh, but I guess the primary difference between the two is that we Gus is a lager, and Big Gus is an is an ale. Um, kind of a foundational difference. <laughs> and it's got an that, ale you- strain that we really like for IPA. Uh, a lot of people are really big on uh, juicy, whatever whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> aren't all fruits? Don't they have a certain amount of juice in them? I always wonder. That. Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's more of this like tropical fruit uh, element. So you, your your mangoes, your pineapples. Uh, so a lot of people are are enjoying hops that have that, and there are yeast strains that also boost those characters. So. Uh, the yeast will release these uh, these esters, these fruity esters, these aromatic compounds, and uh, this one that we chose for this beer and for a lot of our IPAs that we're kind of making right now, including hazies, is this Irish uh, yeast strain uh, that's really uh, expressive. Uh, I'm I'm smelling it right now, and and it is really accentuating this beer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. uh, the hops aren't from Germany. These these are from uh, the Pacific Northwest of the United States. So it's it's got mosaic. Uh, it's got a hop that we've really been loving lately, cashmere, and uh, Amarillo hops. And Amarillo we actually source direct from from the farmer. Uh, it's, it's a hop that's in uh, Sculpin. So we we buy a lot of it every year. So uh, just, just a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. So uh, yeah, we we have uh, a farm in, in Yakima at Virgil Gamash Farms, VGF Farms. Uh, we source our amarillos from them. Uh, we hand pick them every year. Well, not hand pick them. Not <laughs> so, so you're that, not that out would, there actually. <laughs> that, that would take a long time. Yeah. 
but we we select them. We go there and we we have a, a, a selection from uh, as many lots as we as we want, or a, a decent amount of lots, and we choose which ones we like the most. So uh, th- those are the hops that are in this beer, and they kind of uh, are homogenous and kind of add this uh, nice tropical juicy uh, character to the beer. Yeah, it's it's real interesting because I'm, I'm I'm coming around to the IPA. It's weird that I do a podcast that talks about beer and, and bourbon and not be a huge IPA fan. Um, now sours and, and lagers, all that I'm I'll be first in line for. Uh, IPAs though, I'm coming around to, and this one's kind of nice because you mentioned it, Chris. It's kind of it doesn't come at you real crazy at the beginning, mm-hmm. but you get that little bit of a bitter hoppiness on the back end, and it, I, that's that to me is an approachable IPA. Mm-hmm. You know, like anyone can walk up to the bar and feel like, well, I don't know if I like that. This is something that they could ease their way into some of the other ones because mm-hmm. it's, it's got some of those, you know, fruity characteristics, but nothing's like overwhelming. Um, it's just a, a, a nice pour, you know. It's super carbonated, too. Uh, I, I'm, I'm burping on this one. Uh, <laughs> both of them are. But, you know, the, the thing is, the, uh, you know the, the body because it's so dry it needs uh something there to kind of counter or just balance that out so yeah hops can add body and and carbonation certainly helps as well that's an ingredient a lot of people don't talk about is 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 gas or, or carbonation and that we we've, we've learned can really have a huge impact on flavor and how uh flavors are expressed in beer so this one is really spritzy and again definitely is not a seltzer so. <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say the carbonation just just got me there uh just a second mm-hmm. ago uh now now for you all you guys have worked there at um at ballast point for for a while now what's it like working for for ballast point you know you guys are celebrating 25 years i know for those that have been there for a while you guys have gone through some changes um, in terms of ownerships and whatnot, and you're kind of back to that independent uh, feel again uh, with Kings and Convicts taking taking over recently. What's it like working from there at a place that started literally out of a, a home brew mart? You know, I mean, and it's, it's doing some big things. Oh, boy. Yeah, you I, go you ahead. Know, we have I, different I, perspectives I, on this. So <laughs> we have, we've had, well, just because we've had a different kind of paths, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, for me, um, so I, I was first introduced to Ballast Points uh, when I was living in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, th- this is over. This is almost 12, 14 years ago. Uh, I had Sculpin for the first time and absolutely loved it. Uh, at, at the time, we were also getting Green Flash and Stone out on the East Coast, and I really thoroughly enjoyed their IPAs as well. Uh, they were phenomenal. And uh, at the time, I, I, I was working in television. I was a TV meteorologist. I, I did that for 13 years, but uh, I was homebrewing at the time, and I, I knew that I wanted to change careers and uh, packed up my bags and moved to, to San Diego. And the first place that I applied to was Ballast Point. And luckily, uh, the timing was right, and they hired me on. Uh, I was washing kegs uh, for, uh, for, for minimum wage and happily doing that. And uh, at the time we were producing 20,000 girls a year. Uh, and then, you know, at, at peak pr- production, uh, four years later, we we're doing about 420,000 girls a year. 
So you you can kind of do the math. It it was extreme growth, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it was when I first started. Uh, I I was the thirtieth employee, and uh, at our largest Ballast Point, we were pushing almost a thousand employees. Mm-hmm. So I I can't even. We were moving at such a, a, a fast pace. Uh, my head was spinning. I, I, I couldn't even tell you what it was like back then because I just, it's hard to remember. <laughs> uh, it was just fast. It was really, it was really, it, you, you walk in, uh, put your boots on, and you would not know what to expect for that day. And inevitably, it was a shit show. <laughs> An organized shit show. So, uh, but you know, it was fun. Everyone that, that uh, you know, worked for Ballast Point then and, and even now uh, and through the years have been extremely passionate. That, that has never gone away. Everyone cares so much that, you know, we're sitting there as we're working, talking about beer. And, and if, if, if it wasn't enough, right after we clock out, we go to the tasting room and then for another hour we're still talking about beer and having arguments, friendly arguments, and and you know, really taking this deep dive into this weird world that we're in. So uh, yeah, I, I had a I had a time where I got to actually work at Home Brew Mart. I worked at Home Brew Mart for about a year as a specialty brewer. Uh, that was really exciting. Uh, just because you could feel the history in it. Uh, you can feel it in the walls at home mm-hmm. rumor uh, it's really got a special feel to it and it's not even just the history of Ballast Point it's kind of the history of, of, of San Diego beer uh, because so many people have walked through those doors as home brewers and eventually became professional brewers here in San Diego and across the country so uh, I'll quit I'll quit yapping I'll, I'll let Chris talk about his <laughs> uh, his perspective as well but uh, things have changed, but uh, they, they haven't. Uh, a lot has stayed the same. Um, a lot of the same people just caring about beer. That, that's the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would – I'll try to bring it back to Aaron's last point because it's, it's totally true. Um, but, like, I, I started uh, in 2014 after working at a – at a smaller place um, in Poway called Lightning Brewery, um, it was kind of out in north the northeast part of the county, um, and uh, worked there for about nine months as a, as a brewer. Um, and it was a very kind of uh, traditionally directed uh, German brewery, like German style breweries, making Hefeweizens that were uh, Hefeweizens and Pilsners were the main two the main two brands there. And the, the brew days there were extremely long because everything had a had a an extended uh, brew schedule because um, they were made by really traditional German methods and so when I left there and walked into Ballast Point um, it was just a total like I walk sort of the same thing where Aaron said but this was like exactly where I started where you walk in you put your boots on and you have no idea what's going on uh, but in a good way because it means like it, it was a it was a grind like walking in there and suddenly it's like 11 hours of basically like at a half sprint around around the brewery for a full shift where he just completely destroyed uh fatigue wise at the end of the day still find time to go have a shifty and like have a random chat with the cfo on the patio because he's there having a beer too um but it was just 
it it, uh, it was a good initiation into like this is what uh, it really explosive growth in craft brewing is like um, in a in a facility that's probably a little bit too small for it. Um, but it was kind of a good testing ground. Um, and I think a lot, as Aaron said, a lot of people came through Homer Mart. There's a lot of professional brewers mm-hmm. too that came through our Scripps facility who got kind of trained on, on brewing methods in a very tight space um, and constantly keeping your eye on like uh, how we're, we're drinking the finished goods at the end of the day. So let's make sure that we're doing our part in the process to make them killer. Um, and I learned really early on and it's, never changed is that the one thing that we uh those of us who have been there for a while and it's the same it is a lot of the same people uh one thing we're very familiar with is is turmoil i mean it's kind of where like the the explosive growth was was uh incredible and and uh it was awesome for the company and it was completely turbulent i mean it was just chaos all the time um and everything that's happened since then is just a different kind of chaos uh, and I think we're all really good now, kind of rolling with the punches. There's just, it's still the same thing. You come in, you put your boots on, and you don't really know what to expect. Um, but that doesn't really, you know, you get familiar with it. It doesn't change your focus. You, you put your head down and you work and you work with the people around you. And then at the end, you have a beer on the patio with people. And the goal is still the same. Um, and yeah, as Aaron said, it's, it's a lot of the same core group of people who went through that explosive growth and then have gone through everything since then. Uh, and the eye is still always on the prize. It's it's make make the beer that you want to drink at the end of the day. <clears throat> yeah, and you guys seem to, seem to be doing that that pretty well. What? How, how did you guys like? Because both of you were not going into brewing. Uh, well, nowadays nowadays it's kind of a thing. You can actually go into brewing at school. You can learn. Uh, you can do the same thing with whiskey, bourbon, all that stuff. As I like to tell people all the time, that was not on my career thing in high school. I don't ever remember that being a thing <laughs> at high school. Uh, you know, for for you, Aaron, you were yep. you were a meteorologist. How do you just wake up? I mean, uh, for and in a big if you were in Richmond, that's a big size market. You were you were moving your way up. You didn't. I guess you didn't want to go be on Good Morning America. You wanted to go homebrew and then do something a little different. I mean. How does it, how do you just wake up one day and go? Ah, I'm tired of predicting the weather. I'm gonna go make beer. I mean, TV TV is is a grind. I mean, it, it's it's hard. You know, you if you want to move up in your career, you have to move. So mm-hmm. by that meaning, you're jumping market to market to market, going from one bigger market to another one to another one. And, and don't get me wrong, I actually. I loved living in Richmond. It was actually painful to leave there because I had so many friends. Such a great Virginia is such a great state, uh, but I also didn't see myself retiring in television. I just I, I didn't see it. And uh, you know, you're you're signing these two-year contracts, two-year contract, two-year contract, two-year contract. That's that's a hard life, and I I just didn't see myself uh, in my fifties. Uh, worrying every two years about my whether or not I was going to be employed. So uh, it was a pretty easy decision. I mean, it was kind of a eureka moment because I, I, I wanted to go into to the food industry. I wanted to go to culinary school because I loved making things. And it wasn't just like uh, I, I tried like dabbling in art. I'm terrible at art, like just <laughs> laughable. Uh, no, so no, no, I, I no, like, no. Nope. You, you're you're an artist. You're an artist that just makes beer. Your medium is beer. That's all. <laughs> yeah, there That's you good go. Good way to think about uh, it. When, yeah. 
Yeah, when a five-year-old can draw better than you. Uh, but no, I, I, I learned early on as, as a kid. I was like, nope, art's not for me. But I, I, I love like creativity, finding ways to be, to be creative. Um, so I had my science degree. A science degree helps with brewing significantly. Uh, so you need that left brain aspect to better understand uh, brewery calculations and stuff like that. But it's not absolutely necessary, but it's helpful. Uh, physics, I mean, I, I studied physics in college, so I mean, really, the, it was the physics department at the University of Kansas uh, that I got my degree from. So, uh, and Chris will talk too, because he's, he's a scientist as well. So, uh, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, uh, brewing is the perfect marriage of, of, of that right brain creativity with left brain science and engineering and math. Uh, so I realized screw culinary school uh i was a home brewer and i remember just smelling work and it, you know the the it was boiling on my on my stove and it was a eureka moment i said i i would be happy smelling this for the rest of my life and uh, i don't care what i get paid uh, i'm just gonna do it so and i knew that beer is is always gonna be around it always has it always will so uh, it was a calculated decision, but it was also some, something that I just, it was passion. And I kind of just jumped in with both feet. And it, was, it was scary. I moved to San Diego and I was, I was unemployed. And uh, you know, for two weeks I was living out of a tent uh, at a campsite uh, out on, in, in East County and uh, trying to find a job. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> hey, like like all good, you know, drinking stories, you know, drinking escapades, it comes with a great story, you know, camping out to get a job. Uh, and, and for and for you, Chris, I, I mean, you you grew up in Colorado, right? Yep. Um, and then you you went to go to grad school in San Diego, just to um, what was it, oceanography or, or something uh, like I, that. I have a I have a doctorate in geophysics. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's the smart one in the group. Okay, um, so, but I mean, so because you were doing grad school and then at night doing uh, the kind of brewing school that UC San Diego, I believe, had, right? Yeah. So it was it was kind of a an interesting confluence of timing where where I I moved out. Yeah, I moved out for grad school. Uh, drank a lot of San Diego beer in in grad school because uh, grad students. Hey, you're old to, enough. Yeah, yeah, grad students like tend to like to drink a fair amount because you study all day and you gotta you gotta kind of cut loose a little bit um and so i was i was kind of getting familiar after moving from colorado which already had like i, I lived in boulder there's a there was a thriving craft beer scene uh, mainly built on like new belgium and odell um, i still love odell 90 shilling to this day um even though i had some over indulgence uh indulgences <laughs> with it back in uh college it's great beer um yeah <laughs> um but there's there was already a thriving craft beer market uh, in, in Colorado. And then when I moved out here, uh, it was, uh, kind of in the same phase, maybe a little bit ahead in terms of growth. Um, and yeah, had, had, uh, had Sculpin, uh, right, right after my stipend payment came in cause that, you could afford it at that point. Um, cause it was kind of expensive. Uh, <laughs> it was the expensive, the expensive IPA. Um, and then I was drinking a lot of big eye cause it was, it was cheaper. And it was like, I was kind of learning about uh, IPA at that point. 
And then I finished grad school and kind of had the same thought process as Aaron uh, as kind of looking into my future in, in what I was doing. Um, and a lot of uh, what you do after you finish grad school as a postdoctoral student, you're bouncing around from place to place um, for, uh, could be four, five, ten years kind of getting your resume built up so that you can get a, get a professorship somewhere. And I kind of recognized that that wasn't for me. And I had a buddy from grad school actually emailed me and said, UCSD starting a brewing program. Like, just, I know you're kind of like, uh, you're interested kind of, because I'd homebrewed really poorly um, through grad school with him mainly. And he's like, he's like, just check this out. And I was like, yeah, hey, it's night, it's night school. I'll, I'll check it out. It was the, it was just starting. So I signed up for it and got into the first cohort. Um, Chris Holtz, the other R&D brewer, was also in the first cohort. There's a whole bunch of people who, who are in that first one who are in, in the craft brewing community in San Diego now. Um, and what happened was the first quarter of that, of that program, uh, I had three courses. Um, it was a raw materials course, um, a work production course, and then kind of an overarching, like an overall introductory course. And they were taught by uh, Yusuf Journey, who is the former head brewer at Bowles Point and now the head distiller at Cutwater Spirits. Uh, Mitch Steele, who is the, currently at that time the head brewer at Stone and is now the head brewer at New Realm in, in, uh, in Atlanta and Virginia and various other spots. And then Lee Chase, who used to be the head brewer at Stone um, and runs kind of a little brew pub thing uh, called Automatic Brewing in, in San Diego. So these were like three kind of historical heavyweights in the mm -hmm. San Diego craft, craft brewing community. And they were taking their time to teach a bunch of like brand new kind of idiot first year students, um, kind of to give them an introduction. And uh, it took about a week of that being like, that spoke to me. The fact that, that a guy like Mitch Steele who has worked at AB InBev is like a, an incredible brewer, uh, one of the best teachers that I've ever had was taking his own time to teach. Like that, that speaks a lot about the community of brewing. Um, and that kind of sank in for me. And I, I applied for a job at, at Lightning uh, about a week later and just left. Like I just left what I was doing. And as Aaron said, jumped in with both feet uh, and realized really quickly, you can't not jump in with both feet uh, when you get your first brewing job because you're washing kegs. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're starting out, you're starting out doing uh, manual labor for eight, eight mm -hmm. to 10 to 12 hours a day. Um, and there's nothing gl glamorous about it at all. You're, you're just cleaning kegs over and over and over. And, you know, when I was in grad school, I did a lot of work on, on not a lot of work, but a, a fair amount of work on research vessels, um, going to sea and just really enjoyed the manual labor aspect of it. Cause it was such a departure from doing research all the time. Um, and found that I, I just realized this is more, it's giving me more gratitude and more appreciation and more enjoyment than the actual research is. So maybe I should actually kind of chase that. And yeah, and again, another thing that Aaron said, it's a perfect hybrid of science and creativity. Um, and that, it just worked. Um, kind of just came together. <clears throat> I, I love stories <laughs> like that because a lot of, a lot of, folks whether it's in the distilling industry or the brewing industry have very similar stories that are now doing some big things and i always love that they're just like no i wanted something different wanted something that i'm going to enjoy going to work every day go home with a sense of accomplishment want to go back the next and 
I love I it. I also love that we kind of touched on it, Chris, and I think this t- t- does a lot for both just the, the the alcohol industry in general for the most part from what I've gathered is there's just a lot of good people that mm-hmm. are always willing to help. Um, you don't see that in every industry. You see it in some, but not, not every industry, and I think that, that, that has to make it a, a fun thing to do as well where you get to hang out with quote-unquote competitors at the end of the day and, and you guys can talk and be friends. Yeah, I think there's there's a uh, sorry. Oh, I, I was just gonna say I think there's there's a lot of value in uh, your second career, um, maybe more than your first one because it's a choice. Like a lot of times, your first one is you kind of wander into something out of out of, out of high school or out of college or whatever whatever route you're on. You may not make a make a, a firm decision at any point in there, um, but your second career there's a there's a very distinct choice involved in it because you're usually leaving something else. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as you said, uh, when there's, when there's a lot of good people around, um, and they're willing to give their time to help and to teach, uh, I think it kind of places a a bit of a burden on you as a, as somebody who's coming up behind them to kind of continue that. Um, Mm -hmm. like that's an important thing to keep. Um, because I think if you lose if you lose that you've lost a big piece of what makes craft beer craft beer is that is that kind of inclusivity and and willingness to help and and be open about stuff. Sorry, I cut you off, Aaron. <laughs> uh, I I'm just enjoying uh, I'm just enjoying this big guts. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah I I think uh, also with with R and D. Um, we're we're an open book uh when it comes to just uh the community and uh you know so we'll do a lot of presentations and whenever we find stuff uh it's not proprietary uh we we share everything and and we make sure to go to conferences and uh, present our results and and give back that's really important to us and it's it's always well received and people uh, say, man, I never thought of that. Or they'll say, hey, uh, uh, let's collaborate and let's work together and let's uh, come up with something new. And and it is. It's, it's a great community to be in. I, I love going to conferences. I can't wait to start going back to them again because uh, virtual is totally lame. Um, one, one thing that's amazing about beer, I mean, here we are, we're socializing, right? And, and this is great, don't get me wrong, but uh, beer is that wonderful social liquid, for lack of a better term, where uh, it, get, it brings people together. And mm-hmm. I really look forward to just being able to see people in person again uh, very, very soon. So uh, I'm, I'm fully Fingers vaccinated. Crossed. So <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. Uh, slow, slowly but surely. And, and my last question for, for y'all. Uh, is is kind of what what's maybe next uh, for for Ballast Point that you guys are working on that you can talk about on a recorded podcast? <laughs> that might be a, a good my last tough question. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what we're what we're not working on. Uh, we're always developing something new that's happening. So, you know, don't be surprised if uh, we release uh, at least one or two uh, new IPAs. Uh, that goes without saying. Um, 
what other projects are we going on? Yeah, we, we, I, I, I mean, know during IPAs. Yeah. During, during, sure. uh, during the, the shutdowns out here, uh, cause we, we weren't moving quite as much volume as we usually do, obviously, cause the tasting rooms are closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we our our kind of response to that was, well, we need to make beers that take longer to make. So we're not sending them out quite as often. So we went pretty heavy into lager into lager, lager territory and really um, kind of buckled down and dove into like how do we really want to make like a I mean a really really good lager um, the scalability of those is, is maybe not ideal because they the, we take a really long time to make them <laughs> um, <laughs> because we're not really under time pressure mm-hmm. but uh, I mean we've yeah we've got a bunch of those kind of in, in the quiver um, I I guess my, my answer is I, I don't know I don't know what the we don't currently have a project that we're working on specifically, um, and uh, we're but but it all for us it always just comes back to well whatever whatever the company chooses or wants to scale up whatever our customers want us to scale up uh, we have a recipe for it um, mm-hmm. so whatever comes at us we're we're ready to roll with it. And those, those shutdown loggers uh, sat in the tank for about 40, 50 days. Mm-hmm. Those things were phenomenal. Uh, loggers are called logger for a reason. They're, they're supposed to be stored uh, and conditioned, long conditioning time, and those were phenomenal. Are they commercially viable? Eh, maybe we can make it happen. Uh, did they taste great? Hell yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we continue to refine our, our lagering processes. Uh, so uh, that, that, that's one thing that I could see uh, coming down the pipeline as well. And uh, we, you know, we have competitions, start getting ready for competition seasons uh, right around the corner. So we're already starting to brew competition beers. Uh, one of our uh, passion projects uh, between the two of us, uh, Chris and I, is, is working on um, a smoked lager that uh, uh, when we went to Germany to uh, go to an award ceremony, this is in Bamberg, uh, we, we drank the smoke lager at Schlenkerla, and uh, life-altering experience, and we have been forever chasing that flavor ever since we had those pints in 2016. Yeah, so four uh, years ago. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, uh, we brewed that last week, and uh, I'm really big into uh, imperial stouts and export stouts, so brewed that about a week ago as well. So th- that's what's kind of in our tank. Uh, uh, we just filtered a uh, basically a Belgian double. Uh, the ABV is about nine, and that was one of those beers that had a mixed culture. Uh, that one, uh, I may crack after these beers. So <laughs> that's kind of what we're brewing right now. Uh, and we do a bunch of like barrel fermentations as well. Uh, so those will start to, to blend out and release, uh, at least at our tap rooms here in San Diego. So that's okay. kind of what we're doing right now. Sounds like you guys got, got plenty to work on cause it's, it's just what you do every day. Uh, a little yeah, bit of research day. and development. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, Aaron, I, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed getting to, to try the, the brothers Gus. Um, I'm going to say I, I really enjoyed big Gus more, a little bit more than we Gus. Um, and like I said, I'm not a big IPA. Well, I'm becoming an IPA fan. I should, I should clarify that. I'm becoming an IPA fan. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, like I said, I, I really enjoyed those, really enjoyed this conversation. A lot of fun. Uh, like I said, I appreciate you guys taking the time. Our pleasure. Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. 
That was so much fun. I really appreciate Aaron and Chris hopping on uh, to talk about kind of the research and development side of things. Um, you know, that's where they're based out of at Ballast Point, but also just to talk a little bit about Ballast Point. They're one of the, the big boys. They've been around for a while um, and to see them do some new things is really cool. And I, I really enjoyed those beers, really enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget to check out our Give It A Try 60 Second Highlights. We have been dropping them on Sunday nights, but starting this week, we're dropping it on Monday morning. Uh, so uh, just check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube pages uh, Monday morning, and we'll have another Give It A Try 60 Second Highlight for you. Also, check out all of our social media pages. You never know what fun's going to be on there, including our monthly giveaways. we got some new ones. Our new one coming up this month. Details coming soon, so don't miss that. Also, check out our friends at One Sip Beer Review. Near daily beer reviews, some fun videos, giveaways, and just a lot of fun. They're at One Sip Beer Review on Instagram. Until next time, cheers, everyone.